Mike. Lauren. Mike, how do you feel about bundles? I am mostly against them. Can you give me a three-word answer as to why you're against them? Uh, too much stuff? (laughs) Yeah, I have to say I don't miss the bundle where you end up paying for services you didn't even want in the first place. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about on this week's show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm joined remotely by my co-host, Wired senior editor, Michael Calori. Hey, Mike. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And we're also joined by Wired senior associate editor, Julian Chikatu. Julian, thanks so much for joining us again. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's becoming the Lauren, Mike, and Julian show, and I'm (laughs) I'm not mad about it. All right, today we're taking a bite out of Apple. The company held its annual September product event this week. And the big news in September is usually Apple's hardware announcements. There's usually a new iPhone, Apple Watch for the past you know five years or so, or iPad. But this year, of course, was different because everything is different this year. First of all, there was no new iPhone. That's expected later in the fall. And the only hardware announcements were watches and iPads. The event was relatively short compared to September events of years past. We're going to get to the new hardware later in the show. But to me, the really significant announcements this week were Apple's plans for services. We know this is a big area of growth for the company and that Apple has embraced bundling now, which is lumping most of its subscription services together for a monthly fee. And Apple's even made moves to compete directly with fitness services now, like Peloton, because it launched its own fitness service called Apple Fitness Plus. Julian, what do you make of Apple's, you know, increased emphasis on services? I think it's a pretty smart and natural move. You know, they have a pretty great ecosystem of products that you can choose from right now. And these services are something that they've been focusing on for such a long time. And now that they've sort of built enough of them up, it makes sense that you might want to bundle up and get a couple of them rather than just paying specifically for one thing, right? So now if you have Apple Music, you might be enticed to say, well, for only $5 more, I can pay and get Apple News Plus, for example. It just seems like something that's a great way to get Apple to keep people hooked into its ecosystem of hardware and also entice them with these other software features, especially with things like Apple TV Plus. Maybe there's a show that'll come to the the platform that you'll really want to watch and that this will just give you an extra reason to just pay that extra uh, money just to, you know, be able to watch that show. Um, I do think that there are some issues with the Apple One services that they showed so far. Uh, the iCloud seems a little too low for what you're paying. Um, you know, 50 gigs for a person these days, I feel like is something that you can easily go through. And then if you step up to the family plan, it's 200 gigs. And I currently pay for like 200 gigs of, you know, Google Drive storage. And I had to recently upgrade it because... Apparently, my family takes too many photos, so (laughs) it just seems like I feel like Apple could do better with uh, offering better storage options with iCloud, but I think that's always been an issue with Apple. Yeah, it's interesting because iCloud is really like the, feels to me like the bedrock of the services that they're offering. Like a family member said to me recently, like, I know I've been paying Apple monthly for a really long time now. I'm just not sure exactly what it's for, but of course it's for iCloud. And that's the thing a lot of people have opted into for years now. And now they're sort of building on top of that idea. But I, I do agree that that like, I think if you, you know, if you purchase iCloud storage a la carte, your options are like really small for $2.99 per month, or then a lot of storage for $10 per month, and there really isn't much in between. And I would hope that they would 
they would have sort of addressed that with this bundle, but it doesn't sound like what you're saying they really have. Um, Mike, what, what are your thoughts on the services we heard about from Apple this week? Um, I like the bundles. I agree with you guys. I think they're smart. Um, for me, I think the trickiest one is going to be the lowest tier, the $15 tier, because like Julian was saying, you know, that's not a lot of iCloud storage. And there are a lot of people who just subscribe to one service. So either they just pay monthly for iCloud or they just do Apple TV or they just do Apple Music and they're paying $10 a month for that. So getting them to pay an extra $5 is probably going to be a struggle if that person is happy with what they have and don't really feel like they need anything else. Um, you know, I think the the next tiers up are probably going to be the ones that make the most sense for people because if you already have Apple Music and you're paying for that, or if you already have Apple TV Plus and you like it and you want to share it with your partner and you want to get some iCloud storage, like that to me feels like it makes the most sense. Likewise, people who already subscribe to maybe one or two things, so somebody who subscribes to Apple Music and they already subscribe to Apple News Plus, they're the ones for whom the $30 bundle makes sense. Likewise, for somebody who's curious about Apple Fitness Plus. So for example, if you are interested in Apple Fitness Plus and you don't have any of the other services, maybe this is your opportunity to go all in and pay $30 a month and get music and TV and games and all the iCloud storage and the fitness. So I think, you know, for people who are already into one Apple thing, it makes a lot of sense. I don't see people defecting to Apple just for the bundles. That's interesting. I mean, is that a consumer behavior we see that much anyway though? I mean, we saw it with we saw it with Apple Music where people left Spotify for Apple Music. You know, mm -hmm. and I think when Apple TV Plus came out, a lot of people made a decision that they were going to cancel Hulu or cancel Showtime in order to spend that money with Apple. Right. Well, and I also think Apple TV is a little bit different because Apple was offering so much of it for free for the first year if you bought new hardware last year basically. Um and I think we're probably going to see some of that, too, with some of these new services, right, just to incentivize people to get locked into the ecosystem. Um, I, I want to put a pin in Fitness Plus and come back to that, certainly. But when you say Apple Music, to me, that's the thing that when you said at the top of the show, too much stuff, that's where I you lose me because I don't really have interest in Apple Music. I, I'm this point I'm in the Spotify universe and I have some issues with Spotify too but at least I know I can use it across multiple devices and it's platform agnostic and and I've just been using it for a while um so when I look at a bundle and it has Apple Music in it um or just some other service that I'm like oh, I'm not really interested in using that one that's I mean it's just going back to just going back to the cable bundle, this idea that like you're paying for these channels that you really aren't going to watch. And some of those are actually priced at a premium because of the way the licensing deals are structured. And and then you're just like, eh, I don't need this bundle. I have options that are a la carte. So for me, that's kind of a, a turnoff, though I know Apple will probably try to address various tiers. Um, all right, let's talk about Fitness Plus. Julian, let's bring it back to you. What did you make of Fitness Plus? It certainly seems like the thing that Apple would do. You know, they have this this following with the Apple Watch and a lot of people use it to complete those rings and that's just become this big phenomenon. So it makes sense that they would sort of capitalize it by having their own studio filled with athletes and putting out weekly videos that people can now watch. Uh, I just 
feel like, you know, ever since the pandemic began, my girlfriend and I have been working out every day, or at least trying to every day, by following YouTube videos. And just there's just so much that you can get for free that for me, you know, when I saw the announcement, I was just like, I, I don't really feel like I need this because if you're telling me that the biggest sell is that I can see the data from my watch on the screen, I think I'll just stick with looking at the watch because isn't that the whole point of what the watch was, right? Just you're able to just glance at your information at a, at a quick glance rather than looking at your phone or something else. So I get the idea and I do think that it'll definitely be helpful for some people, but I think for me, you know, the, the value doesn't quite make sense because there's already so much great content out there that you can totally access without spending any money. Um, it'll just really come down to whether the fitness personalities on that sh on the shows are going to be unique and interesting enough that they'll themselves create a cult following. And um, that is totally up in the air until we actually see the service. Have either of you ever been incentivized to pay for a fitness app before? No. 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 Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I paid, I paid for a full year. No, I paid for five years of Planet Fitness and I went like for a week. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm also in a different boat, I think. Yeah. Well, you're also then getting, you know, back in pre-pandemic times, a location, a community that you would go to when you're paying for a gym membership. But there is something that feels like you're or must be a real glutton for punishment if you're paying $10 a month for someone to shout at you through your iPhone screen to like do more push-ups or something like that. Um, I happen to be a Peloton subscriber, which we talked about on last week's show with Brian Barrett. So go back and listen to that one when you're, when you're done listening to this Gadget Lab. Um, and so, of course... There was a lot of chatter when Apple first announced Fitness Plus that like this was going to be a Peloton killer. In fact, I even tweeted, oh my God, Apple just announced a Peloton app. Uh, there are some key differences there, though. I mean, the hardware that both companies make is very different. Very Peloton makes very purpose-driven hardware. You pay a premium for it, but you get the exercise bike or treadmill, right? Um, and they have successfully built up both what feels like a social network, and then those personalities that you talked about, Julian, where people get really excited to work out. With like the, They're like mini celebrities now, these Peloton instructors. Um, I, would, I just did a ride last night where Cody was like selling his merch. And I'm like, wow, he has like a branded t-shirt line now. Uh, but um, we'll see if Apple is able to successfully mimic that. And because at the end of the day, like they're not competitive, but they sort of are because this is all about getting eyeballs into one platform, right? And, and it's about getting people into into the ecosystem because like the thing about Fitness Plus, which I was sort of surprised to see, is that it requires two devices, two Apple devices, right? It requires a watch. You have to have a watch to use it. And you have to have either an iPhone, an iPad, or an Apple TV. Like you can't do it on your computer. There's no web interface or anything, which if you think about it, it makes sense what Apple wants to do because... Uh, Apple's always done this where they they try to sell you on not just the the gadget but the whole experience, right? This rich ecosystem. So the watch ties into what you're doing on the screen on your iPad and that that sort of like feedback loop is their special sauce here. In the same way that with Peloton, you know, the the device that you have and the relationship that you have with the instructor and the platform, the social aspects of the platform, that's their own special sauce. So you know, you can see how the the wheel is going to turn with Apple Fitness Plus. And to me, that was the real revelation. 
you mean how the the bike plate is going to spin is that is that what you meant how the <laughs> sorry that was really bad uh yeah you're right it's like it's almost as though the competition is not necessarily peloton specific but just it's about apple having been this platform for a long time for third-party apps and then increasingly getting into the same services that are provided through third-party apps so it becomes competitors with them um you know it's going to be interesting to see how well apple takes information that it gets from the third-party fitness apps you use like if that app writes to apple health and sends your data to apple health and then apple knows that you like doing this yoga class on this app so then Apple starts recommending its own fitness plus yoga class. Yeah. That's going to be, I think, where the the competitive sort of power lies for Apple as opposed to competing with a company that makes exercise equipment. Um, but of course, we also know that Apple is being scrutinized for its massive platform and the way that it uses that platform. So we will see how that evolves. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about hardware. Welcome back, everyone. All right, Apple's announcements. Well, it wasn't the iPhone, but there were some new products. There are two new Apple Watches. There's a premium version with blood oxygen monitoring capabilities. There's a less fancy budget version of Apple Watch, although I think it still starts at $279. The company also announced two new iPads, including a redesigned iPad Air. Mike, what, what were your thoughts quickly about just the fact that we didn't hear about a new iPhone? Well, I think we were all expecting to not hear about a new iPhone. Uh, and by we, I mean, you know, the people who report on this company and follow it closely. Um, earlier this summer, there was an earnings call where Apple executives mentioned that because of um, delays in the supply chain and because of the economic slowdown globally, that the iPhone's release was going to be delayed by a few weeks or a couple weeks. I can't remember the exact language, but we knew that it was going to be delayed. Um, so when the announcement came that there was going to be an event in September, uh, we knew that it was probably not going to be the iPhone because it was still within the iPhone normal date range and they'd already told us that it was going to be delayed. And also the event invitation said time flies, uh, which is in typical Apple fashion, they like to sort of tip their hand a little bit about what they're going to be talking about. The fact that they mentioned the word time and we know there's a new watch coming, we knew that this event would mostly be about the watch. Um, that's basically the story of the iPhone. So we can expect that there's probably going to be an iPhone in a couple more weeks. So we'll all be back on the show talking about it in the beginning of October. <laughs> all right. Uh, Julian, tell us about the new Apple Watches and what you thought of them. I mean, overall, it seems like a pretty solid improvement from last year's one. The big new thing here is uh, blood oxygen saturation tracking. You know, it's weird that I feel like they didn't quite spend as much time on sleep tracking. You know, it was a thing that they talked about at WWDC when they first announced it in the new watchOS version. But I still thought they would have kind of focused on it a little bit more because... This is something people have been clamoring for for a long time on an Apple Watch, and now you can finally do it. And I barely think they even mentioned it other than saying it's a thing in the new watches. So uh, it's interesting. I don't know if they think that the data there isn't going to be as helpful for people or if they just don't know what to do with it other than saying, 
here's your sleep score, which to be honest, that's normally what I feel when I see a sleep score on one of these watches. It's like, great, I got a 90 out of 100. I don't know what to do with that information. But, you know, overall, I think this is a pretty great um improvement from last year but like you know it also feels like the ceiling is kind of being uh we're reaching the ceiling because you know where else is the competition when it comes to samsung's watches yes you can get similar experiences but i feel like apple is still leading the charge here on terms of quality of the apps that you can use on the watch and overall polishment with the entire ecosystem uh with its phones as well yeah, I have to wonder if the uh, the lack of mention of sleep tracking is just acknowledging that none of us are sleeping much these days. But in terms of the new Apple Watch, so I happen to be wearing the new Apple Watch Series 6 now. The embargo for first looks on the watch lifted the, this morning, the morning that we're taping the podcast. So I guess I can talk about it now. This um, is a first listen. <laughs> it's, it is a first listen instead of a first look. And when I put it on last night, I thought, Yep, looks just like the Apple Watch Series 5. Don't really notice any differences here. But there is the uh, the SPO2 tracking, um, which so far hasn't been great, but I have to give it a few more tries before I really make my assessment. Um, and uh, I was surprised a little bit by what just felt like maybe the least exciting Apple Watch announcement so far in its five years of existence. Like to me, this year felt like incrementalism more than any other year. You know, there have been these steps that Apple has taken to either waterproof it or add GPS and heart rate tracking to it. Or then a couple years ago, or was it a couple years ago or was it last year? I think it was last year was when they did, uh, they announced the EKG function and they had taken it a step beyond what some other watch manufacturers had done. And they had, you know, gotten de novo clearance, which is a type of FDA clearance, though not FDA approval. So they were sort of legitimizing that feature in a certain way. They did fall detection. They have SOS calls, all these things that like felt pretty, um, I don't know, fairly significant updates for this tiny little thing that goes on your wrist. And then, yeah, to your point, Julian, we didn't hear a lot about sleep tracking. We didn't hear about any major changes in battery life. And it seems to me like the the big differentiator is going to be this SPO2 sensor and a slightly brighter display, right? That's the other thing. Yeah, in always on mode. In always on mode. Yes. Okay. That, there is there is that ceiling that happens again and again in any technology. Like if you remember when smartphones first came out for the first three or four years, it was like innovation, innovation, innovation. And then you hit a point where the next one is just kind of like the last one and a little bit better. And it gets a little bit better battery life and the camera's a little bit better and the screen's a little bit better. And we're sort of hitting that with smartwatches now where mm -hmm. the best smartwatches have parity on all the major features. A few are better than others at some things. And like, I think the, the things where Apple needs to improve is battery life. When you get an Apple watch where you can wear it all day and then all night, so you can get like a full day before you have to charge it. I think that's when it's really going to become like the uh, the battery is the killer app on the Apple Watch, as, as I always like to say. Um, but, you know, the smartwatches are pretty close to being boring. They're getting to that point where it's just going to be like, yep, there's the new one, just like the iPad is now. I mean, the iPad is absolutely amazing, but the version 8 that was announced this week is just a notch better than the version 7 that came out, you know, two years ago or whatever. Tell us about the new iPads, Mike. Uh, it's an iPad. <laughs> there isn't really much more to say about it. Um, the, the exciting one is the iPad Air, which has 
the most design changes that I can remember in an iPad. Um, the screen has the same footprint, but they squeezed more pixels and a bigger screen into it. The Touch ID has moved into the sleep-wake button. There's a sapphire crystal on the button now, so we can see your finger. Uh, and it has this new chip in it, the A14 Bionic, which is, as far as we know, uh, the first chip in the computer industry uh, to ship at a massive scale that uses the new 5 nanometer process. It sounds very nerdy, but the way that chips evolve is they get smaller and more powerful. So you can squeeze more computational circuits onto the same surface area. So Apple has taken the next step in this, and we expect that the other companies are gonna be taking the next step in this over the next five or six months. So for the next year or two, all of the chips that are coming out and all the new machines are gonna be five nanometer chips. Um, Apple beat everybody. So that's big news. Although whether or not that actually changes how the iPad Air feels to you is negligible. Uh, from like a nerdy, the evolution of computers perspective, that's a big deal. Julian, what did you think of the new iPads? I do think that there is an air of uh, complacency with the iPad, the base model. I think they know that there is not much else in terms of competition that you can get at that price range that's really good. So yes, it's a very good iPad and grateful that they're continuing it and improving it and adding a better processor. But I do think, you know, they could be a little more competitive and offer some of the features that they're bringing in the new Air to that base model. Like, why is there still a first-gen Apple Pencil? It makes no sense. Like, they shouldn't be selling an iPad that you can't just slap an Apple, uh, Apple Pencil on and have it wirelessly recharge and pair. And the other thing is uh, USB-C, which I think is just, you know, at this point, I'm so tired of having this one lightning cable. I charge my <laughs> iPhone with wireless charging because that's more convenient than holding on to lightning cables, but the iPad has just been the sole thing that I need to have a uh, lightning connector just to be able to charge it. And it's it's I'm super thankful that the Air is finally also going USB-C, but it's just things like that. And, and another thing I think someone else pointed out on Twitter was uh, 32 gigs of storage in the base model, which in 2020 should be pretty, you know, <laughs> that that's a no-no. Right. Yeah, it's this interesting combination of seeing the, the high-end iPads become these delivery mechanisms for like really interesting new technology, uh, like LiDAR or new display technology, like ProMotion and things like that. But then on as you get sort of down the product line, it's really it really just becomes classic product differentiation, right? And that's that's something that's something that I'd like to point out, which is that it's really important that Apple has an iPad at three hundred and thirty dollars, or if you're in the education market for three hundred dollars, because it's the cheapest way into their app ecosystem. It's cheaper than the cheapest iPhone. Uh, and you know, the Apple Watch can be less expensive, but you still need an iPhone or, or an iPad to pair to the Apple Watch. So it gives Apple a cheap skew, right? Something that they can sell to anyone in the world, families, schools love iPads. They're never going to not have a cheap version of the iPad. And that iPad does not need to be exciting. It needs to be capable, it needs to not require any maintenance and it needs to be cheap. And, you know, 330 bucks is not cheap, but for a fully functioning mobile computer that has all of those amazing apps and works with the pencil, that is a bargain. So it's interesting because I'm hearing Julian say that it's not very exciting, but what you're saying, Mike, is that it doesn't need to be because there needs to be something at that end of the market that can just suit kind of a, a, a mass audience, you know, or 
people who are just looking for like the cheapest iPad they can possibly get. Yeah, exciting doesn't matter at the low end. It just like cheap and it works and it never breaks. That's all that matters. And you know when exciting doesn't matter? When you're just using it to deliver a bunch of services (laughs) (laughs) and get people into subscriptions. Okay, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do our recommendations. All right, Julian, our guest of honor, what is your recommendation this week? I have gotten a turntable to test. It's called the Fluence RT80, pretty technical name, but I have never really used a turntable and I've, I don't think I've really ever listened to vinyl or just had that experience of putting on a record. And I have to say it is probably a, a, a magical moment during this pandemic, which was just it, it, literally my girlfriend and I were just sitting on the couch. I set it all up and then I had this one record that I bought like a year ago at some event and I, I brought it home and I didn't have anything to play it on. So I just kind of put it up on a display and I pulled it out and I put it on there and just the sensation of just putting that, you know, I don't know what it's called. See, this is how little I know about turntables. You can just say needle. Yeah, the needle. Yeah, the needle. So when you put the needle on the record, and when it just started producing music, it was just, we both kind of just sat back in awe and just was like staring at this rotating disc and just was like, this is producing music right now. And, you know, it's not particularly this turntable that I'm saying is is something that I recommend, but I just think the general idea of, of getting a turntable and getting records. And, you know, we then spend a weekend going to different record shops and buying a couple different um, records. And, and I just think it was such a different experience from just opening up my phone app and pressing play on a song and using my Bluetooth headphones that I think this was just such an interesting and physical experience that I think everyone should really spend some time and try it out. It's great that um, that you can go record shopping together as a couple uh, because I'm a huge vinyl nerd and I've ruined so many vacations by like, just like <laughs> I need a day just to go to all the record stores. I get a really bad case of like, it's right over here, itis. Or there's, there's one more thing I'm looking for, itis, you know? Well, as someone who doesn't really know what I'm doing, you know, both of us kind of just went in there and we're just like, do you see anything you recognize? And I'm like... No, but this artwork looks interesting. And so we're just ending up, you know, just buying by what things look like. And uh, it's been fun also just just doing that alone. So uh, trying and and seeing whether this would be a genre of music that I like. But yeah. And how much does this record player cost? It's $200. But uh, the nice thing about this one is that it has a preamp built in. So you don't really need anything else outside of speakers. You just plug it into your speakers. You put the record on and that's it. Voila. Nice. Julian, this was the record player that you Instagrammed the other day where you were you were playing the Florence album? Yes, yes. Uh, that That is one thing that I bought from eBay because I played the game, something I guess I could also recommend. I played that game last week and it was 10, like an hour of my time, but the music in that game is so beautiful that I was like, this is something that I should totally buy for the record player. Yes, it's such a great game. That's by Annapurna Interactive, right? Yeah. Yes, okay. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? Um, I would like to recommend a television show on Netflix. It's called 3%. Uh, It has nothing to do with the far-right political group called 3%ers, but it is a a science fiction show. Uh, It takes place in the near or distant future, uh, and it's basically like a dystopian world where there are people who live in poverty, and then there are people who live in a society that you sort of have to 
find your way into through like a lottery and passing all these tests. So the show follows a group of people, uh, young people who are trying to advance from the poor society into the utopian society. And of course, if you've read any, you know, dystopian literature, you would know that not everything is as rosy as it seems once you get there and the journey often takes you into new places. Anyway, fantastic show. Uh, it is Brazilian. So it is in Portuguese, so you'd be watching a show with subtitles. It's really fascinating, though, because the production design really sets it apart. Um, these, these are people who are sort of living by their wits, and they don't have a lot of resources. So uh, the costumes feature a lot of knitwear and crochet wear. You'll see people using woven baskets. You know, It adds this sort of sense of realism to it, that like if you were in this situation, this is how you would make your clothes. This is how you would make your supplies. When you get your hands on technology, this is how closely you would guard it. Uh, so it's really wonderful. The reason I'm recommending it right now, it's been out for a while, but the fourth and final season just dropped this week. So you can start it if you haven't already, and you can finish the whole thing. Um, you know, it might take you a couple weeks to get through because it is four seasons, but highly recommended. 3%. It sounds great and uh, very dark during these already dark times. It is pretty dark, but it's not It's not like depressingly dark the way that mm -hmm. a lot of those shows can be. Um, you know, the acting is very stern. Uh, there's not a lot of humor in the show, but um, it's the way, the way that the production is done, uh, it's very bright and has uh, a sort of a nice human glow about it that I really like. A nice human glow. That's how I think of all of you as we're <laughs> zooming, zooming during this podcast. What's your uh, reco? My recommendation this week, because we've had, uh, in the Bay Area, we've had a week of unprecedented poor air quality. And so lots of people have been asking about the best air filters or air purifiers. And Wired has a guide to that. We published it in May of this year, so it's it's pretty up to date. Uh, Matt Janser and Adrian So wrote it for us. And um, I have a Koei. Um, there is a Koei Air Mega at the top of our list. It's uh, somewhere between $180 and $250, depending on where you buy it. I don't have that exact Koei, but I have a similar one that I paid around $200 for, and I really like it. But this list has uh, short descriptions of the Blue Air Pure 411, which a lot of people have asked me about, a Dyson. Um, there's a Honeywell option on there. It's just, it's a, it's a pretty comprehensive list of air purifiers. Um, and so I would take a look if you are in the market for an air purifier. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. All right, that's our show for this week. Thank you, Julian, for joining us again. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, we would love to hear it. You can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. Our executive producer is Alex Kappelman. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay well, stay healthy. Go into your settings and check your subscriptions because you might be subscribed to something you don't want to be subscribed to. Okay. Okay.